1: Welcome to the Heart of Innovation. 60 minutes that could save life and limb. With new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org. In partnership with Cardiovascular System Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation Emmy award winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas. And interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. Hey
2: everyone, welcome to the show. What do we do about chronic pain? The opioid crisis is limiting critical pain relief for patients who need it in order to protect those who are abusing it. It's a really big problem for those who just can't seem to get any relief. I know that I deal with it on a daily basis with patients who have peripheral artery disease, which is uh, restricted blood flow and mainly the leg arteries due to plaque buildup. And these patients report it feels like a tourniquet wrapped around their legs 24 seven. Imagine trying to walk, trying to sleep with this tourniquet wrapped around your legs but there's no relief inside, especially if they end up with neuropathy because they waited too long to get their blood flow restored to their feet. Um, With us today, we have someone who may have a solution that he and his team are working on, though, so maybe there is some hope. Vladimir Yerovoy, professor of physiology at University of California, Davis, is joining us to talk about a new study he's working on. Dr. Phillips, you know just as well as I do because as an interventional cardiologist treating patients with PAD and other vascular disorders, it pain relief is needed.
3: Exactly, Kim, and uh ha- you know, happy uh happy Saturday, right? Um another week is uh, and along. today's
2: Red Sock Day for Peripheral Artery Disease Awareness.
3: That's awesome. Yes, I have my socks um ready to wear. But no, this is going to be a, a fantastic and enlightened show. Um, so I've been looking forward to speaking with Vladimir for quite some time since I've been researching what he's been doing, because you, you not only have people who have chronic pain, uh, but you also have people that have become addicted to the pain medications right. and senseless, senseless deaths and from overdose. So obviously... Uh, you know, the research is is, is groundbreaking. It's going to take years to develop, I imagine, but we have to figure out a way to help these folks, aside from just, you know, giving them pills that mask the pain and that can also lead to addiction.
2: That's definitely critical. So I think we should jump right into the conversation, but first, a moment of inspiration.
0: (laughs) Dr. John Phillips,
3: spectacular, vascular moment of inspiration. Well, I'm going to give a quote, uh, give you a quote from William Osler, the father of modern medicine, who basically revolutionized the way medical education was taught. Uh, He was at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, and I like this quote. He said, a good physician treats the disease the great physician treats the patient who has the disease and i think that's the heart of what researchers like vladimir are doing it's trying to get personalized medicine to to these folks so let's let's get on with the show
2: yeah i agree vladimir what do you think um that's a pretty appropriate quote for this show as we get started
4: Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me for the opportunity to talk about our research. And absolutely, the precision medicine, as we call it, focused on individual patient needs. This is the future where we are going with our approaches and our team here at University of California Davis School of Medicine. What we are trying to achieve with our team is to develop new alternatives for therapeutics to treat chronic pain and specifically working on a subset of uh, peptides and antibodies as potential replacements for opioids to treat chronic pain. And the idea no. we have... Ask- yes,
3: please.
2: When it, when it comes to pain, and I think it's really good to 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 clarify, first and foremost, you do want to get to the root cause of the pain, right? See if there's a way in which, for example, with peripheral artery disease patients, you want to make sure... Has the blood flow been attempted to be restored? Um, in other cases, there might be other things that are going on to ensure that um, that that we understand and we can treat what's causing it versus putting a bandaid over it. And sometimes when you're talking about um, pain medications such as opioids or anything you might be working on, that's more of a bandaid, especially when you know, they can't do anything more, they need something in the meantime, correct? That's correct,
4: that's correct, absolutely. But we basically designing alternatives to opioids that would be safe and effective. And this is where peptides that we're designing right now and antibodies that we started to work on more recently would be uh, very effective in our view because they will be interacting with the key receptors that are transmitting pain signals uh, very potently and very
3: specifically. And specificity so, is yes. Please. No, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just I I, want, I was curious as I was reading about your research. Like, how did you get into this particular thought process of using monoclonal antibodies? Where where you're you're a professor of physiology? That's right. That's right. Do you do a lot of so do you do a lot of basic science research? and then ultimately- Yes, indeed.
4: But uh, this is where the ideas for both antibody uh, development and also peptide design that we have came originally from my work at University of Washington in Seattle before I came to Davis. I spent a number of years uh, at University of Washington working on voltage-gated sodium channels, which are key transmitters of pain signals in peripheral nervous system. And so I was aware of their key role in transmitting of, uh, peripheral uh, pain sensation signals for many mm-hmm. many years. Okay. And when I moved to UC Davis, I realized that we need to undertake this challenge and develop very selective and effective uh, therapeutics to treat chronic pain. And at the time, that was about 12 years ago now. I approached uh, clinicians at UC Davis um, Pain Clinic, Dr. Haver Dr. Fishman, and we had you know, big discussion about how we, basic science researchers, can actually come up with therapeutics that would be useful for them as physicians in clinic, and ultimately will help patients with chronic pain. And at the time, there was no big investment from National Institute of Health and ultimately from the government available to pursue these new ideas that we've been brainstorming however it all changed back a few years ago when nih created this so-called heal initiative which stands for helping to end addiction long-term initiative and invested 1 billion dollars that was initial investment from congress to focus on development of new therapeutics to treat pain and also to ultimately help people with uh, addiction to opioids.
2: Bring us back to the conversation that you were having right out of the gate when you went to your fellow professors and said, hey, I have this idea. What was the response at that point? Did you feel that there was resistance or were they with open arms? A lot of times when you deal with other professors, you always get a little wall up initially with a healthy dose of skepticism.
4: Oh, Actually, they were also excited about the opportunity really? that we have at the basic science level to pursue this research that can make actual impact in the clinical practice mm-hmm. and also to help patients. But the key missing component was investment in this new, new, more risky research, which basically the ideas that we had were very new in, in this field of uh, ion channel pharmacology and physiology. And also at the time, we didn't have very high Accuracy structures that we need to perform more accurate computational design. And I'm talking about structures of actual receptors, actual proteins, which are basically ion channels, specifically voltage-gated sodium channels that are involved in transmission of these pain signals.
2: So, we'll come right here on the part of innovation. I'm going to have Vladimir get a little bit more layman on some of that explanation because i'm not a scientist i don't know about you so stay tuned you're gonna want to learn more so stay with us
1: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
3: Welcome back, everybody. We are continuing our fascinating conversation with Dr. Yarrow Yarrow Yarrowoy, who is trying to develop very specific ways to treat pain in folks that have chronic pain that is not a a, a pill form and during the break we were just kind of talking about what the inspiration was and and i said as a clinician all advances in medicine start with basic science folks smarter than me developing whether it's a new piece of technology um, or a pill or in this case these antibodies and so vladimir continue your story yeah, you you got inspired by meeting with fellow clinicians who treat folks with chronic pain. You've got so now you've got this idea. All right, how do you how do you get it across the finish line?
4: Yes, absolutely. Because ultimately, there will be multiple sources of inspiration for this research and for our original idea. Um, some of my family members, uh, close and distant, uh, suffer from chronic pain. Some of my close friends uh also some of my colleagues uh in the scientific community and beyond and so this is where i have you know personal basically inspiration from all these people uh to try to make impact in their life in the future and also when i visited clinic here at uc davis pain clinic uh, they allowed me to shuttle patients and basically i've seen how they do procedures how they talk to patients. And I remember one of the moments when a patient walked in, in their office, and he told one of the physicians, I just want my life back. And those simple words really provide, you know, very deep inspiration for for our research as well. Because
2: So you're sitting there, you know, 12 years ago, and you had this idea, you talked to your colleagues, and you didn't have the funding available at the time that you needed in order to make this happen. That sort of quote from a patient can be very powerful and help keep you fighting uh, until you can r- remove those barriers to moving forward with research like this, right?
4: That's that's absolutely uh, the story that we had, Kim, actually, because ultimately we had to wait a number of years till funding became available at the scale that we needed and also to be able to pursue these more risky ideas uh, and ultimately it all converged in early 2019 when NIH established that HEO initiative finding opportunity we had new computational methods uh, recently developed at the time available and also structures of our key receptors at high resolution became available so sometimes the life timing is crucial to be able to make further progress. And this was the time when it all changed for uh, our team in early for, 2019.
2: For those of us who are not scientists, um, can you break down that whole idea of these structures for these receptors? Because that's a little over my head.
4: <laughs> yes, absolutely. So basically, we... Uh, mind you Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. we are able to see the actual atomic resolution structures of proteins that we are not able to see with uh, our eyes because they are basically at nanoscale. And there are methods that have recently been developed. Uh, one of the teams actually at the University of California, San Francisco, contributed to a recent revolution of cryo-electron microscopy. And some of the structures that we are using for our research have been solved by this new technology but able Mm -hmm. to capture proteins at atomic resolution. And we need that information, that data, to be able to more precisely design new proteins and antibodies
3: to interact with these key receptors. So, Vladimir, is it kind of a lock and key theory? Precisely, precisely. But you need to know the lock, basically,
4: structure, right, to be able to design the key. What's so been you happening re- for many, many years, for now decades, that industry have been trying to design new, very selective and safe therapeutic treat pain, and they failed for many, many years. Why? Because they've been trying to basically do this design blindly without knowing the structure of the actual lock. In this, in this case, the lock is actually modulated sodium channel that we need to uh, stabilize in the closed conformation. So it will not be transmitting pain signals in patients with chronic pain. That's a key challenge at the level of basically protein structure.
3: So the, sorry, the the, the breakthrough, I guess in your mind, the breakthrough for this idea, was it the ability to use computer software and these electron microscopes to actually visualize the lock.
4: Yes, so having those structures, which actually been solved by our neighbors here in San Francisco at Denentech, uh, they solved that complex of the sodium channel with one of the peptides bound, and we used that structure, which became available in early 2019 to perform the computational protein design and. For computational protein design, we're using software from my former mentor's lab at the University of Washington, David Baker uh, in the Department of Biochemistry. so he his lab developed software called Rosetta. You may have heard of course about rosetta stone Rosetta yeah. software for language learning. This is a Rosetta software for protein modeling and protein design. Oh wow and more recent uh, versions of this software are now taking advantage of artificial intelligence specifically deep learning methods to come up with even more accurate protein designs. So this is where the timing again is so important. So having the structure of that basically lock, right? Is the key and having more advanced methods to design these peptides more accurately. So peptides you can think about as a key and antibody as a key to basically lock the channel in specific confirmation that would prevent it from opening.
2: I love the fact that you're, you were saying, okay, timing is everything. Because if you would have gotten this big grant to pursue this research 12 years ago, you likely would still be where you're at today and maybe without money at this point, um, <laughs> right? Because you would have exhausted all these, almost felt like you were spinning your wheels. And I think it's important for patients to know, gosh, you know, we have, it's always an evolution, right? Yes. To get to the next level, to get to the next level, to get to the next level, there are these stepping stones. So basically, where are you at today in development?
4: Yes, so basically we recently actually reported on our progress in the publication in the eLife journal. And in this publication, we uh, summarized our progress to date on peptide design part of the project where we've been able to come up with more selective and still very important peptides interacting with the key sodium channel involved in transmission of pain signals and we made it much more selective than any other available peptides uh, basically created by both academia and industry to date however there's still room for improvement we still see opportunity that we can make it even more selective And why selectivity is such an important consideration, ultimately it's related for patient uh, safety. That means we want to minimize potential side effects of these peptide-based therapeutics in the future. And so we need to improve the selectivity even further. And we know...
2: That's a really interesting point. And I want to follow up with that after the break. We're going to jump off for a moment here on the Heart of Innovation. We're going to get back to Vladimir because I am curious. I think that that's a big point to make when you're developing a medicine. How do you reduce the side effects? So we're going to have him explain that coming up next. So stay with us.
3: Three years ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking.
2: Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me.
0: Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine
4: thought the pain was radiating from my spine.
1: My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal.
2: peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are The Way to My Heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients, and we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.org or call our Legsaver hotline, 415-320-7138. Your life and limb could depend on it.
1: Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist, Dr. John Phillips.
2: So before
3: we went to break, Vladimir, you shared with us where you guys are to date. uh, And this was published, Sciences, and and we'll we'll post the link on the blog. how many? I mean, you're working on peptides and you're working on antibodies too. So two different types of proteins that hopefully will both will be the the key, right? Yes. Um, but but this they have to be very specific because obviously um, we will try to to mitigate side effects. Absolutely. So to, so today, you know, it's February 2023 walk us in your mind best guess like how long is it going to take to get these peptides where you need to be get the protein antibodies where you need to be and then maybe do some animal testing and then human testing and because there are people listening right now that are probably like oh yeah i'll take some of this today
4: that's right Uh, but this is where we see opportunity to improve the specificity of our peptides over the next couple of years to the level where we can uh, actually, go to clinical trials, and the first opportunity would be to do the clinical trials using so-called intrathecal injection. This is where peptides will be delivered uh, in the spinal cord region oh. close to the peripheral nervous uh, basically system. So
2: this would be something almost like a cortisone shot, where you have to go into twilight, and you know you get the IV. You have to go into a twilight type of sedation and. Have that injected?
4: Well, basically, in the spinal cord uh, region, right, this is where sort of direct delivery to the dorsal right. neurons that actually have these voltage-gated sodium channels expressed. Uh, and we need to silence those neurons' activity in patients with chronic pain. This is the first potential route of administration. The second would be IV. This is where we also will be working on uh, versions of our peptides that will be delivered using IV administration. Yet uh, another alternative approach would be to de- develop peptides that actually can be taken orally, as a pill, okay. or as in, uh, basically administered through intranasal administration, as a nasal spray.
2: Really, this is
4: where but we're going to be having
2: medication delivered that way. Yes,
4: yeah, so this is where we're going to have alternatives going forward to the roots of administration, and we will see for different. Patients with specific pain conditions, which route of administration will be most effective and safe? Right, because that's definitely the key to have more effective and safe pain relief. Right. This is working on peptide design. We're talking about at least two years of more basic science before we go into clinical trials, and then clinical trials will take, you know, at least two or three years to show the potential efficacy in in patients.
2: What do you think the biggest hurdle is going to be in the next couple of years to get to that point where you say, okay, we're ready for for clinical study?
4: Yes, so this is where we need to actually design and test as many more of these variants as possible. And right now the limitation is basically funding. So we're applying for new funding to continue optimizing these peptides and we hope to get maybe two new grants uh, this year to pursue this research Uh, but this will depend how much funding we will have to test new, more optimized variants of these peptides because the more we test the better chances are that we can come up with more optimized and more selective and ultimately
3: safe peptide for clinical testing so you you have you mentioned peptides as as one key yes and antibodies are another key exactly because antibody that's a new project that we
4: uh, got funding for from the same NIH initiative last year Mm -hmm. and so this is this project basically is our second alternative branch of efforts to develop therapeutics to treat chronic pain and why antibodies are different compared to the peptides Ultimately, antibodies are also proteins. Okay. Basically, they are generated by our immune system response. But we are using this idea of developing antibodies as specific keys for the same receptors. And difference between peptides and antibodies are size. Antibodies are bigger, even though there are different sizes that we explore of antibodies as well. And this antibody in the future, we can potentially have more sustained pain relief because they can be injected subcutaneously and get in circulation and last in circulation for weeks. With single injection of antibodies in the future, we see opportunity for patients with chronic pain to have sustained pain relief lasting for more than a month.
2: Now, explain where you got the idea for these monoclonal um- antibodies i i heard that they had been involved in 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 cancer research in freeland
4: yes indeed i mean the original idea actually came from protein structure for us because there have been protein structure solved with one of uh another ion channels in complex with antibody and that structure provides uh inspiration Come up with antibodies that would be also interact with our key receptor, voltage-gated sodium channel, in in a similar way. And so this is where, from structural perspective, we already see an opportunity that antibodies can bind like a key to a lock, right?
3: Very specifically. Now, if you had your choice, or maybe you need both. So, so let me ask you this way: Do you need? peptides and antibodies, or is one going to be better than the other, and and you just don't know yet?
4: We don't know yet. Certain patients may prefer antibodies for more sustained pain relief. Others may prefer daily pill, or maybe the pill would last a few days for pain relief. That's also possible. Some may prefer uh, basically uh, IV administration as another uh, alternative but this is where we want to give patients opportunity in the future to select from these uh, multiple different options. And for some patients with specific pain conditions, they may choose one versus another. Having those alternatives in the portfolio of potential treatments for patients, that's essential. Again, coming back to the you know uh, precision medicine related uh, future, this is where patients would be able to choose more effective treatments that works for them
2: so more choice for pain relief is on the way coming up right here on the heart of innovation we're going to find out just how close we are on one versus another i know clinical trials may be a couple years out but we're going to get a better idea on the timeline coming up next you don't want to miss it so stay with us if you have blocked arteries and mainly the leg arteries known as peripheral artery disease You will breathe much easier if you stop smoking. I'll tell you why. Hi, I'm Kim McNicholas, CEO of thewaytomyheart.org with this week's medical notepad brought to you by Cardiovascular System Incorporated's Patient Advocacy Campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation, and The Way to My Heart. Did you know there are thousands of harmful chemicals in each cigarette that enter into your bloodstream with every puff? Your heart pumps blood into the lungs to gather oxygen, which is then distributed throughout your body. One such chemical is carbon monoxide. When carbon monoxide is present in the bloodstream, it binds to hemoglobin preferentially over oxygen. As a result, oxygen cannot bind to the hemoglobin in the red blood cells, so very little oxygen is transported throughout the body. A -a pack-a-day smoker can have a 3% to 6% carbon monoxide level in the blood. Smoking two packs a day, the level may be 6% to 10%. In a -a three-pack-a-day smoker, carbon monoxide levels may reach 20%. Normally, someone has zero carbon monoxide in the bloodstream. Lack of oxygen in cells forces the heart to work so much harder to distribute oxygen around the body. The moment you quit smoking, the level of carbon monoxide in your body will return to normal within 12 hours, meaning your heart won't have to pump as hard to distribute oxygen. If you're trying to quit smoking, here are five steps that might help. Step one, make a firm commitment saying, I desire to quit. Step two, identify the triggers which cause you to reach for another, which will help you to decide whether stopping cold turkey, using a patch, reading a book about how to quit smoking, joining a support group, hiring an addiction counselor, or watching a webinar will be effective for you. Step three, find something to do with your fingers or your hands, such as a rubber band or pen to twirl, or have a bag of a cautioned mix of nuts, dried wasabi peas, even sunflower seeds handy. Step four, just don't kick yourself for lighting up. That's a bad thing. That negative reaction can cause you more stress and anxiety, leading to even more puffs. Instead, remind yourself that it's okay to be where you are in this journey and that you maintain your commitment to quitting. Remember, I desire to quit. Keep that in mind at all times. Step five, surround yourself with friends who will support you, not shame you. Stress again is one of the leading triggers to light up. Now here's a bonus. Several patients with PAD in the Way to My Heart's Network are talking about a technique that seems to work for them. Light up one cigarette and only take a few puffs until you feel satisfied. Then extinguish it. The next time you have a craving, pick up that same cigarette and take a few more puffs. They say after a few days, you'll realize that you are consuming far fewer cigarettes than before. And over time, your goal should be to get to the point where not even one puff is needed. With this week's medical notepad, I'm Kim McNicholas, CEO of thewaytomyheart.org. If you need support from fellow patients trying to quit smoking, download the Way to My Heart's Peripheral Artery Disease app on Google Play or from the app store on iPhones. Search peripheral artery disease and I guarantee you'll find it. For more information on peripheral artery disease, go to standagainstamputation.com. And remember the advice and views offered in this series are for educational purposes only. Always check with your own healthcare team before acting on any advice offered here to ensure it's appropriate for you.
1: Welcome back to the heart of innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
3: Welcome back, everybody. We are continuing our fascinating conversation with Vladimir regarding innovative ways to treat chronic pain. And, And during the break, we were just kind of chatting about at least I was asking you, Vladimir, what are some concerns that you have about developing peptides and antibodies? So specifically, you know, big time, you know, what side effects do you worry about? Obviously, as you're trying to get very specific and make that key, fit that lock as precisely as you can, there's going to be some hurdles that that you guys run into. What are are your thoughts on that? Yes, Uh, happy to discuss. With respect to
4: our peptide, design and development we've been able to improve the selectivity uh, for our key receptors sodium channels expressed in peripheral nervous system versus sodium channels that expressed in the heart in the brain and skeletal muscle so this is where we already see that there shouldn't be side effects of our peptides in the future clinical trials affect the activity of sodium channels in the brain heart and skeletal muscle However, we do still need to improve selectivity versus sodium channels expressed in neurons that are responsible for motor function. So peptides that we developed, they have limited selectivity versus sodium channels expressed in motor neurons, but clearly we already see that we need to improve the selectivity even further so that we are not affecting the motor function of uh, patients in the future so that's i think
2: that's an interesting interesting point because i always wonder with medications and as they're being developed how do you make sure that the medication is only focused on this one particular area and doesn't affect other areas and i'd love for you to go into a little further explanation on that maybe in a little more layman's terms because i find that incredibly fascinating
4: yeah absolutely because this is where we have You know, multiple, basically, keys in terms of the actual sodium channels expressed in different tissues. I mentioned heart, brain, skeletal muscle, and motor neurons, right? So we want to only design peptides that fit into the lock, ultimately, of the peripheral nervous system responsible for for transmission of uh, pain signals and not affect any other locks and not affect any other tissues. That's important for our physiological function. And that's been the key challenge for therapeutic development in general, but for the pain, therapeutic in particular, because there've been a number of clinical trials over the past 10 years or so of different compounds developed by Pfizer, Genentech, uh, and others. And th- those were small molecule-based, basically compounds in clinical trials. And unfortunately, all of them have not been able to pass the clinical trials. Why? Because of toxicity. They did have side effects on other sodium channels and other proteins. And ultimately, this is the key challenge in development of safe therapeutics. And we see right now, based on our data that we published and some of the new data that's not published yet, we have opportunity to actually enable very high precision selectivity of only targeting sodium channels involved in transmission of pain signals and not affecting any other sodium channels.
3: So let's jump ahead into the future and let's assume you have some peptides, antibodies that work and now they are available to patients. Part of this HEAL initiative from which you got your grant was to reduce and help eliminate addiction. Do you feel like, number one, you can do that but the, conversely, could these antibodies or peptides cause addiction too? Very important questions. And we've
4: definitely been considering this with our team of experts, including our clinical experts. And what we know that peptides, targeting sodium channels and antibodies like channel, some channels that we're developing, will not be addictive. Why? Because basically what we see sort a basic physiological effect they will be numbing the, basically the peripheral nervous system. But this is where one of the interesting challenges also comes into play, because we don't want to numb the patient completely. We want to only reduce the abnormal transmission of uh, chronic pain signals. We want to preserve the rest of the pain sensation, which is important for our physiological survival, acute pain specifically. And so this is where peptides and antibodies will be developing, will be administered in doses that would fine tune the pain, uh, basically uh, sensation to the level it only will be transmitting acute pain signals, but not chronic pain signals. That's where we're going. You can imagine like thermostat. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I'm Temperature yeah. range. Yeah. For each that's patient, cool. this again coming back to precision medicine. This is the future that we envision it would be possible to be able to suppress pain signals to the degree that would be comfortable for each individual patient, but not the numb patient completely. And we don't see any addictive potential as well, because basic effect of these uh, sodium channel blockers is similar to lidocaine, which oh, people okay. yeah. use like lidocaine patch, for example, right? It's a numbing effect, a like local anesthetic, basically or people who go to the dentist's office, right? Similar, you have numb it for a few hours, but you don't have any addiction to it. You don't want to get numb again. And at the physiological level, this is the actual response that we expected. No,
2: I think there's a fine line when it comes to that word addiction, because if you're not solving the problem itself, and if this is still considered a band-aid, and this band aid only sticks for a certain amount of time, then there's going to be a repeat dosage. Is that not considered addiction or basically is it just so, consistent treatment?
4: That, that's an important question, Kim absolutely. because it's just of uh, addiction of patients to opioids. What happens? opioids are very effective in suppressing uh, pain signals, right? But they also affect our brain function. Um, they created this cycle of addiction because there's a ple- ple- pleasure, basically sensation and feedback in our brain.
2: Not gotcha. yet.
3: But they also provide. And you al- and then you're ultimately needing higher and higher doses. And then the pills are too expensive, so they they moved to black tar hair, I mean like that's the thing you don't want to have happen. Yes. You're gonna give measured doses that last a finite amount of time that they're gonna need more of until their pain gets resolved, but it won't require higher doses, right? Or need they don't have that need or the, that itch to scratch, so to speak. Precisely,
4: precisely because I was mentioning the already known you know, potential not to have side effects on the brain of our lead peptides this is one of the key you know, observations we already have. There should not be effect on the brain function in addition to heart and skeletal muscle that I also mentioned.
2: Well, coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're gonna wrap things up. I'm curious about potential competition. If one university is focused on this, I'm wondering if they know of other research opportunities that are happening that could be competing. So stay with us.
1: Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation, For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist, Dr. John Phillips.
3: Welcome back, everybody. So we only have a few minutes left, and Kim had us on a little cliffhanger there. Vladimir, what competition... How do you guys protect your your knowledge? And at some point, what are your ne- you know what's that next step? Do you partner with big pharma? Do you start your own company? Share with us your thoughts.
4: Yes, absolutely. We explore multiple different options. I mean, at this stage, we have uh, patented our lead peptides through University of California Innovation Access Office, and we've been approached by uh, several different uh, companies in the development of pain therapeutics and so we're considering starting a company um, and also partnering with big pharma because ultimately to get to the clinical trials this is one definitely important challenge but then to actually fund the clinical trials that's another important challenge because each clinical trial costs money and it needs to be definitely considered it uh, just a, getting the funding uh, from NIH, that's one potential opportunity, but also from industry, and that's another opportunity.
0: Right, And then
2: you have to balance the time between spending your time fundraising versus actually in the lab. And at that point, that's where it benefits you to start a company, find a CEO if it's not one of you. um, And that person becomes the chief fundraiser, goes out with your series A, B, C, D, gets those clinical trials going. And then at some point, Big Pharma goes, oh my gosh, this is this is gonna really happen. And then you look for that exit strategy into a, a larger firm.
4: That's, that's right, that's right. Because this is where we see, again, opportunity to, to uh, ultimately develop even better peptides and antibodies, right, that we have right now over the next few years. But the key would be to bring up the clinical trial with definitely more funding from both uh, NIH and uh, industry. So, so, this
2: isn't something that's going to happen anytime soon, so anyone who's in pain today, I hate to say it it's a little not even a glimmer of of hope for any relief in the short term. What's the realistic timeline of bringing something like this to market?
4: Well, basically looking at uh, at least you know a couple of years uh, of clinical development and then at least several years of clinical trials, so at least
3: five years roughly time frame um to to be you know clinic so vladimir we've got maybe a little over a minute left what keeps you up at night and what gets you out of bed in the morning
4: yes very important also part of inspiration
3: that we
4: see every day opportunity to get better peptides and antibodies and more safe, ultimately, does as uh, future therapeutics to treat pain. And for us, inspiration, again, comes from all those patients who need this help right now. And so having the more effective therapeutics to treat chronic pain for them, that's our key inspiration and challenge.
2: Yeah, and that's also what keeps you up at night, isn't it? Indeed. Why can't we get this soonest, right?
4: Yes, indeed.
2: So if people want to reach out to you and follow you, they can follow you on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle?
4: It's VYY underscore SF.
2: Fantastic. Thank you so much for all your very important work you're doing. And thanks, everyone, for, for joining us here on the Heart of Innovation.
3: Thank Take you so care. for the opportunity. And when you get that Nobel Prize, we're going to have you back on.
1: (laughs) You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.